You're sitting in a dimly lit theater. You slip off your coat and sink into the cushy red velvet seat, taking stock of the people in front of you, figuring out just how obstructed your view of the stage is going to be. The hum of people getting settled reminds you of every other show you've ever seen, and you let that layered memory steep a little bit. You turn to your neighbor, asking them what they thought of the last show. You ask them if they've ever fallen for a material. You swap love stories. You scan the audience and notice an older man in a baseball cap with a yellow legal pad. He's taking notes. He looks like a mix between Mr. Miyagi and the Monopoly Man. I think that's the producer's dad, you whisper to your friend, who originally said they don't really listen to podcasts, but here they are at another show with you. You look up at the ornate ceiling and let your mind wander, your eyes tracing the crystal chandelier high above. Meanwhile, associate producer Liz Delise is in the wings with a clipboard and a headset, letting the live orchestra know we go live in 10. Yes, Material Feels is on Broadway, and you are there in the audience with a mini thermos of overpriced wine and extremely quiet snacks that you will only open during intermission. Welcome back to Material Feels, where we explore the intimate relationship between creative people and the materials they have fallen in love with. I'm your host, Katherine Monahan. I'm an audio storyteller and writer based in Oakland, California. Associate producer Liz Delise composes original music for the show, inspired by each material. We are going to wrap this episode with a track inspired by the two-part January and February episodes on time, so be sure to listen to the end. Material Feels is sponsored by Brown Sugar Botanicals. Brown Sugar Botanicals is Oakland's black, queer, and trans-founded CBD company, proudly crafting herbal CBD-infused products grown by resilient communities. As of March 5th, 2021, Brown Sugar Botanicals has closed their online shop to tend to a new period of growth and will reopen on May 1st, 2021. In the meantime, go follow their journey on Instagram at Brown Sugar Botanicals and make sure to follow their community updates at brownsugarbotanicals.com slash community. Before we dive in, I need to thank you. I probably should pay more attention to analytics and be better at marketing and strive for 10,000 downloads. But honestly, I'm pretty sure I've got the same 217 people coming back to this theater over and over. For some shows, that number is considered so tiny. It's kind of vulnerable to share, honestly, because it is so far from the big numbers you want if you're going to monetize an audio show. But I feel like I wanted to share that number because, honestly, I'm, I'm honored you keep coming back. I think about my listeners, you guys, all the time. I talk to you in my head. I write this narration for you. I think about each episode for weeks and weeks, sometimes months. I think about 217 people who keep coming back to spend time with me, to spend time with materials and with makers. And as far as I'm concerned, we've got a full house and the theater is my happy place. So let's do this. It, sometimes it feels like a negotiation, especially when I was learning how to do this kind of fold. Uh, it felt like, okay, you, this one part of paper, you need to go up. You're a mountain. But right next door, you're a valley. You can't both be mountains. <laughs> you're a mountain and you're a valley. Can you please just go, please? I'm trying to, like, it really felt like a negotiation of, like, me trying to persuade the paper to do it. And then they're like, okay, fine. We get it. We get the picture. 
we're mountain here, we're valley here, mountain here, valley here, and we're, we're good from now on. <laughs> right. And it's interesting that you have to learn how to do it with your hands. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to teach the paper how to do it. Yes. <laughs> the paper is a flat plane. Yes. And you are in the business of transforming it into like all matters of things. Yes. I love thinking about you in conversation with the paper. Mm. The more I do it, though, the less it feels like that because I've developed much better systems for creating the actual pleats and the actual folds. So now I have a system where I know if I do this, it'll do that. If I put pressure here, it'll react in this way. So I feel like we understand each other more. <laughs> Whereas in the beginning, it was really felt like this is a negotiation and I have to win this argument. <laughs> Zai is a San Francisco-based artist who works with white paper, playing with light and shadow. Her artwork is geometric and intricate. And when I stepped into her apartment, I felt like I had stepped into a large-scale version of one of her artworks. A few of them were hanging on some of the walls. Her apartment was full of neutral tones, beige and white blankets, natural wood furniture, and plenty of negative space for my eyes to rest on. It felt airy and light, but also ordered and structured in a way that made me feel safe. Zai came down the stairs like an electric, fast-talking, colorful exclamation point. And even though I had met her before, her personality was extra palpable that day. Maybe it was because I wasn't used to seeing people. This was the first time I had visited someone else's house in months. Or maybe it was because I was expecting the person living in this minimalist, monochromatic environment to kind of talk like this and just be like really grounded in their chi. I think Zai is grounded in her chi. It's just that her ground in that moment felt a bit more like a bouncy trampoline. My name is Zai Devecha. I'm a paper sculpture artist. I've been a full-time artist for about five years. And the first three, no, first two, I was working in metal. And then the last three, I've been working in paper exclusively. I mostly fold it uh, into like geometric patterns, but I've also experimented with rolling it and making little cones, incising, so cutting little flaps, uh, crumpling, experimented with a bunch of different techniques to transform the paper. When I started experimenting with paper, I realized, oh my gosh, I can actually make these kinds of forms much more easily and quicker. And yeah, it felt like a whole new way to explore the same kinds of patterns and motifs that I was already really drawn to, but in a medium that just felt much more exciting and stimulating with more possibilities. How does it feel when you look at a, at a geometric pattern that you like? It feels like mesmerizing and calming and intriguing and balanced. And I don't know, it's just, it feels calming to me. I asked Zai what kind of patterns inspire her. All kinds. They run the spectrum from, you know, man-made or human-made and geometric and regular. Like, you know, when I was a little kid, it was bathroom tiles. I remember, like, <laughs> sitting on my elementary school uh, toilet and, like, staring at the tile pattern. You know, like, with a magic eye, when you, you stare at a pattern, you kind of look through the page, and then you're the two fields of vision align and, you know, it looks three-dimensional. I would try to do that with the bathroom tiles. I'd be like, okay, stare beyond the floor and see if I can get them to line up, the two different Aww. patterns to line up. But more recently, I've been interested in organic shapes, like cloud patterns I'm really into. I went to Joshua Tree for the first time a couple years ago and found those cactus skeletons. It's like when the cactus decays and rots and you know, usually the bark that's left looks, for a certain kind of cactus, looks like, you know, has all these little holes. It looks almost like a netting. Zai is citing quite the range of inspirations, textures, shapes, and patterns that are complex and varied. 
The breadth of her inspirations speak to the versatility of paper as a sculptural material. Here's a little overview of the material at hand. Paper is made of plant fiber, specifically wood. The bark is stripped away from the tree, the wood is chipped, pulped, meshed, screened, and dried. Depending on the type of paper, the pulp may be sieved in a certain way, pressed, sized, and chemically altered. Paper has been an integral tool for communication since its inception over 2,000 years ago in China. It has been a method for correspondence, record keeping, documenting important knowledge, rituals, and stories. Paper is also a surface for drawing and painting, which is a whole nother topic, how carefully formulated fibers interact with different dry and wet medium. For this episode, we're going to focus on paper as a material for folding, cutting, and creating dimension. The art of paper folding is technical, geometric, and playful. Paper folding has roots in ritual, dating back to the 6th century when Chinese monks shared paper with Korean and Japanese folks. Over time, as paper became less of a luxury item and more of a household material, it began to be used to create lucky tokens and gifts. Then, during the Edo period in Japan, the 17th century, it became the norm to fold paper in both recreational and ceremonial settings. The practice was called orisu, meaning folded setting down. The term evolved over time, and the first book on origami was published in 1764. During that time, the art form also evolved in other cultures, specifically Germany and Spain. Now we have paper crafting, an expansive art form that is very popular. As a paper crafter, you're changing a two-dimensional plane, a flat surface, into a world in and of itself. You can create dimension, expressive lines, specific recognizable shapes, abstract patterns. You fold, pleat, cut, glue, stitch, layer, or bend to create shadow, silhouettes, and depth. So why did Zai connect so deeply with paper in particular? Honestly, I love it because it feels so, so flexible and so creative. I feel like in my hands, it wants to be one way and in someone else's hands it wants to be completely different. When I'm interacting with paper it wants to be like orderly and have like some kind of system even if it's an organic pattern for instance sometimes I'll make um, you know little cones that are all identical they're all the same size but then I arrange them in an organic pattern or you know I'll do a teardrops in a layout that looks like cloud patterns it feels very organic but each individual unit is very regular and repeated so I like playing with different layers of, you know, the smallest unit is very organized, the next level up is more organic and freeform and flowing, and then like maybe the, the overall composition is more regular. To me, I feel like it wants to be orderly, but also quiet, a lot of detail, very like repeating elements. But I've seen the way that other artists transform paper and it's completely different. Artists who for whom it feels really solid, some for whom it feels really delicate and playful, and some feels really bold and inviting, and some more buttoned up and careful and cautious. You are communicating so beautifully with your hands right now. Oh. Thinking about just how that in relationships to how you are in the studio and what your hands must be doing. Mm. It's a lot of repeated motions. <laughs> Taking each piece and doing the same score line by hand on, you know, a hundred different pieces. And then I do the same crease on the same, you know, hundred pieces. And then they're stacked all neatly in piles. And then there's usually some stage where I'm laying stuff out and it's more like organic and unpredictable movements. But I definitely get into that zone where it's like, feels like knitting where you're doing the same 
small motion over and over and over and over and over again. And then at some point you step back and you're like, oh, okay, this is amounting to a hole. But sometimes I get lost in that stage where it's like, oh my God, I'm making the same hole a thousand times. <laughs> Zai's perspective on repetition, both the peaceful aspects of it and the frustrating aspects of it, really resonated with me. It made me think about the repetitions in my life that create various patterns. The mini rituals that create the fabric of my day. Threads that we weave over and over to form a cohesive fabric. I think about it all as a tapestry. Some threads weave in for longer and are more prominent. Others more spontaneous. Some of my repetitions, like the way I have the exact same breakfast at the exact same time five days a week. Our strategies for coping with the rest of my day. Making that giant pot of oatmeal every Sunday removes the burden of choice and the effort of cooking for myself at 7 in the morning. Other repetitions are more organic, tenuous, and precious. On your afternoon walk around your neighborhood, exchanging a wave with the same elderly lady who gazes out of the third floor window, saying good morning the same way to the same person over and over and over. Then there is the monotonous norm where you don't even realize it's happening until suddenly you look up from whatever you're doing and you you look at the bigger piece. You zoom out and you realize, what the hell am I doing? Why, why do I keep doing this? Is, that, is this what I want to make of my time? It's a beautiful thing, though, when you look up from the tiny, minuscule repetitions and take stock of what you've done and a positive feeling washes over you. And then the actual doing of it is very repetitive, it's very quiet. You know, each individual action doesn't feel like very much, but it amounts to this beautiful tapestry with like elegant patterns or system to the, you know, the layout. Um, when I'm in the zone folding, it feels kind of like that. Like, oh, I'm just doing the same little unit and I'm making some small decisions about, do I use this size unit or this size unit? Or do I lay it out this way or that way? And then each individual thing feels so small and inconsequential, but then when you step back and you see hundreds of them or thousands of them, it, it creates a different feeling. What kind of feeling is that for you? I feel calm. I like creating work that feels calm and soothing. I know there's something about lots of little things <laughs> grouped together that feels good to me. I asked Sai to imagine that she's at a dinner party. And who is paper? I think they're a chameleon. I think they're that person that can hang with the really like quiet, sensitive, deep crowd. It takes a minute to warm up to them, but you can get really deep with them. But I think they can also change on a dime and hang with the really social, outgoing, highly verbal people with witty, quick conversation. They can go in any direction, depending on who they're with, what their goals are, what the situation is like. And it makes me think about how like patterns can be perceived as noise or as like busyness. And yet it's also peaceful and quiet and still. Depends on like how high contrast it is. Like in my work, I work in a pretty much exclusively white color palette. Um, I love that the shadows and light alone create the pattern. But I see many artists work with paper where it's high contrast, it's saturated, and it's colorful, and it has a completely different feeling. It can like amp you up or feel energizing. Whereas I try to make work that feels more calming and soothing and 
safe and quiet. I've mentioned in earlier episodes when we were exploring the wool mill or the ceramic studio, each material has a creative culture that has sprung up around it, built by hundreds, sometimes thousands, of years of creative people working in concert with that particular material. The same goes for language. There are dialects, vocabulary words, tones of voices, and even elaborate conversations that unfold between a maker and the material they choose to engage with. Right now I'm exploring folded curves. So I've done a lot with straight line folds, so geometric sort of polyhedron shaped things, and now I'm figuring out how to score a curve line and then fold the paper into a curve. It's a little bit less predictable. I don't have as intuitive senses of how to how to translate the flat sheet of paper to the curved shape that I'm trying to make and then what it does. Sometimes I'll fold the curve and be like, oh, that's that's not what I expected. This is a completely different shape. And I was like, I'm going this way. Don't tell me what to do. Yep, exactly. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I can correct for that. And sometimes I'm like, oh, this is, I'm just going to let this go in a different direction. This was not what I was intending, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. When we visited Zai's studio, she gave me a tour of some of her well-loved tools. A bone folder. A short metal ruler. Bookbinding glue. A dull X-Acto blade. A sharp X-Acto blade. Two dental tools. Scissors. And my hands, of course. <laughs> Do you like obsessively wash your hands? Yes, I have baby wipes down there, unscented baby wipes. <laughs> so that I can, because I, otherwise I don't have to get up a hundred times a day to wash my hands. I have hand lotion because I hate working with completely dry hands, but also if it's too much lotion or too much oil, it'll get on the paper. So it's the perfect balance of oh my God. moisture and dryness and cleanness. I love it, I love it. <laughs> have you had any like sensitivity to your hands? Like do you have to do something extra for your hands since they're one of your most used tools? I think I'm comparing it to metalworking, which was a constant battle of I'm getting my hands in acetone, now they're covered in grease, now I have to use degreaser to get the grease off of my hands. Oh. It was an absolute nightmare trying to maintain my hands in some sort of comfortable working form. That paper feels so much easier, it's so much closer to just how I want my hands to feel normally. I asked Zai if any new fascinations have come up since the start of the pandemic. Any unexpected projects or inspiration? Recently, I've been looking back over my old notebooks when I used to do metalworking. I kind of just assumed those were archives, like that phase was done, this is no longer relevant. But I started looking back over patterns that I was sketching and was like, oh, these would actually be really fun to reimagine in paper. I broke my ankle pretty badly in 2016 and I was on crutches for about six months and couldn't work for a lot of that. And so I spent a lot of time sketching patterns in my notebook, I had the dot grid on it. And I love sketching when there's some kind of structure and it's like, okay, I just need to figure out fun ways of connecting these dots in different ways. I love creating rules for myself like, oh, let me draw a pattern where it looks like a ribbon and I can make 90 degree turns and that's it. But I can go in any, but I can try to like fill the whole space with this like winding kind of tape. I love having some kind of structure and, or some parameters for myself and then exploring and doodling within that. And so I spent a lot of time just doing that kind of repetitive connecting lines in this notebook because I couldn't work with metal, I couldn't go into the studio. I did a lot more sketching during that injury phase than I have any other time in my life. I really appreciated this story because it made me think of times when, for some reason or another, uh, we are prevented from doing what we usually do, how we usually do it. Maybe it's an extended leave from work, or we've moved and everything feels different. 
Or maybe it's a new reality adjusting to and living with a disability or illness. Basically, when something changes out of our control, it is a form of loss. I don't know, is this relatable to anybody? I mean, kind of like a global pandemic we are all still dealing with? Question mark? When she was injured, Zai couldn't do what she was used to doing. So she spent time doing something relaxing, laying down, connecting dots in a notebook. She responded to a creative impulse, didn't question it. Objectively, in that moment, there was no point to what she was doing. I'm putting points in parentheses because obviously I think that there was a point and I'm getting to that. Turns out, those sketchbooks were not abstract doodles simply to pass the time. They ended up being roadmaps for her creative path. Definitely a quiet one. <laughs> I want to create a world that feels calming and soothing to your senses. I feel like our worlds are so overstimulating as, you know, right now, like our phones are constantly beeping at us. We're getting notifications. We're getting, we're constantly having to tune out noises, other people's conversations, working from home. Many people have roommates or partners who are making noise in the other room. Um, I mean, I feel like the whole digital landscape is just, you know, clamoring for your attention at all times. Mm -hmm. And I would love to give people a few seconds of calm, a little respite, a break from all of that. No colors, <laughs> very low contrast, um, just soothing for the senses, a little bit of a break. I've learned that I'm very sensitive to my surroundings. I've learned a lot about how I'm really fueled by interactions with other people. I get so many ideas from bouncing ideas off with friends. I love having studio mates where, you know, there's some degree of human contact and conversation that happens as part of my daily life. And I feel so much more creative and relaxed and productive when I don't feel like I have to constantly be protecting myself from my environment. <laughs> so if I can create an environment that's actually quieter, I can focus better, I can think better. Zai's work is an extension of herself and an opportunity to create her own reality. I flash back to being in her home, interacting with her amidst her own creations, and it makes sense to me now. Coming in, it's like, man, white balance. You know, and it's just like, but I'm like, ah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. But it actually makes sense because you're making room for yourself. Like when I've been to, back when we had parties, <laughs> I would be at like either a bar or a house party, like whatever. And I'd be like, oh, I just like clam up when it's so loud. And I had many situations where I was like, I don't understand why I'm extrovert. I should totally love this. And it wasn't until a couple years ago that I realized like, oh, I am very extroverted, but I just get drained the way that many introverts get drained in these big social situations, not because of the social aspect, but because they're loud. Background noise, there's background music, there's lots of conversations. I have to shout and talk over someone and being able to disambiguate crowds and social contact from loud, loud situations. Mm -hmm. It's like parties drain me, but not because of the social contact. Yeah. They drain me because the of the noise. Seriously, <laughs> it's like there's this language of people, this, this shared language of for people who are sensitive to their environments or um, experiencing illness and disability, like whatever yeah. differences, oh. there's this shared language. And once you tune into it, it's like everywhere. Yeah, totally. But then people who don't notice that you're just like, how is this not driving you batty right, right. now? I recently put 
put my finger on why I hate unloading the dishwasher so much. And it's because I hate the sound of plates on plates. Oh god, no, no, don't. It's the worst. It's, it's the worst. so bad. Yeah. I'm totally fine with loading the dishwasher mm -hmm. because you're putting plates on mm -hmm. a rack that's coated in, you know, it's yeah. a metal rack coated in plastic. Yeah. Putting a single plate in is fine. But unloading, it's a series of like nesting bowls on in other bowls yeah. and plates on other plates. I, this is, you're literally, we're on the same page. So Phil and I have now negotiated a, a here is where Zai and I launch into a 10-minute conversation where we discover in real time that we are both sound sensitive. We breathlessly share our elaborate strategies for unloading the dishwasher, how to minimize painful sounds while simultaneously expediting the process. I cut this conversation because while I found it intriguing and essential to my everyday existence, I didn't think that we all needed to hear all 10 minutes. The important takeaway there is once she and I discovered a common sensitivity, a common reality, we knew exactly what we wanted to talk about and we got right to it. This was a really important moment of the interview for me. Something clicked. Zai is literally using her creative practice to envision an ideal environment for highly sensitive people like herself. Less stimulation, more spaciousness. Her account of her switch from metal to paper as a material made this alignment and the significance of it even more clear. When I was metalworking, I I loved having made something in metal, but I didn't actually enjoy every step of the metalworking process. And because I'm sensitive to noise and temperature and like I need to feel like comfortable, I hated that I had to wear ear like two layers of ear protection. Like I often had to wear in-ear foam earplugs and then the over-the-ear construction earmuffs <laughs> over safety goggles, a respirator. It didn't feel comfortable. It felt like, oh, I need to just get it over with so I can move on to the next step. Whereas now I can actually really enjoy the, the process, partly because it's like a quieter, softer material. The process requires less tools. I don't need to wear so much protection from the outside world. I can, you know, feel comfortable and listen to something and learn at the same time. Not only was the process uncomfortable for her, she had a different relationship with the finished pieces as well. When I was doing metalworking, I would finish a piece and be like, okay, cool, on to the next thing. And at one point someone was like, oh, so is your house full of your metal creatures? And I was like, oh, psh, no, <laughs> no. And then I was like, whoa, that's, that's, that's kind of messed up. If I don't like my work enough to put on my own walls, why do I have a lower standard for work that I'm creating and selling and building a business around than I have for my own home? That was such an aha moment when I was like, ah, something needs to change here because I should like my creations so much that I want to see them all the time, that I want to be surrounded by them. And that wasn't the case when I was working with metal. Mm. And so one of the things that prompted me, I think actually that when I realized that one of my New Year's resolutions was I need to start making artwork that I like so much that I want to have it on my own walls. That was my barometer for that, my like guiding light for like, okay, I need to move in that direction. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started working with paper and seeing the fold, seeing the shadows emerge, seeing, being able to play with the geometry in a totally different way, you know, I would look at this and be like, oh, this is what I want to have on my walls. This is quiet. This is low contrast. This is soothing. It's soft. 
this is what I want on my walls. I would be excited to put this on my walls. In fact, I want to make stuff for my own and walls. And it's on your walls. And it's literally it's on your walls. There's, there's several behind you. Yeah. There's a handful in the living room. Now when I see my work, I'm like, oh, I like having that on the walls. Like, that makes me feel good. When, when I wasn't creating something that I loved, it didn't feel quite right. It didn't feel like the puzzle pieces were in the right place, and it feels like they're now in the right place. Zai had essentially removed herself from what, for quite some time, she hadn't even realized was a toxic environment. It was just normal. It was just how she she existed. She went into work, she made the pieces, it was loud and, and heavy, and that was just how it was. But when she made a transition to paper, that movement freed up a lot of energy and emotion to be directed at the things she does love. Communion with the material world can show us what is possible. Zai realized she wanted to be in a quieter environment, an environment where she felt safe to be and bloom. And as makers do, she went about making it. Because of the way our society has been set up in recent years, and by recent years, I mean like the last 100, uh, 150, it is an immense privilege to commune with the material world. But it wasn't always like this. The arts weren't always a niche, and handmade objects haven't always been rare. At the beginning of today's show, I let you know that you are a part of my happy place, the theater. That's where material feels takes me, even if it's in my mind. Just like Zai creating her happy place through her work with paper, my creative practice creates a safe space for the soft parts of myself and for the things I care about most. I have questions. Where is your happy place? Where do you feel most you, most at peace, most grounded? There might be a few. Pick one. Close your eyes. What is in that place? Are there people there? What are you What doing? is the light like? The sounds? Is something happening? What activities, places, or specific relationships make you feel like you're in that place. How accessible is that feeling for you? What is that feeling, right? For me, being in the audience of a theater makes me feel extremely connected, not only to the storytellers on stage, but to my fellow audience members. I feel immersed in the story and very present. I also feel a freedom of surrender. I'm here and I let the story wash over me. I revel in the creative choices made throughout the show, from lighting and the costumes to the choreography, the timing of the orchestra. I laugh out loud. I cry freely. And if I'm putting on the show, then I get to be a part of it all. And I'm contributing to everyone's experience. I love throwing dinner parties, but never a potluck because I want to curate the experience and I want everyone to feel like they are cared for, like all they needed to bring was themselves because it's true. So my typical MO for these dinners would be to invite a mix of people, some who knew each other, um, but really the only person who ever knew everyone was me. There's something about sharing a meal with someone, especially in someone else's home and in that type of setting where it just makes everyone a little more vulnerable and open to each other. And it's really lovely to witness. And it like satiates my curiosity, my generosity, love, 
Um, and I think there's beauty in that and like the food and just the experience itself. And then just to learn from everyone else around me. And that gives me the warm and fuzzies long after the meal is done and the buzz from the wine has faded away. Beauty, curiosity, justice, knowledge, love, generosity. Hey, Catherine. So I just worked on the values exercise you sent me and I loved it. Thank you for sharing that. My six top values are tolerance, openness, intimacy, justice, health, and sexuality. I was thinking about what is it I've done that has really tied all of these together? And it made me think of the Femex community class that I was part of, that I was a student of and then was a facilitator of, incorporated all of these. It was about learning about new people and new ways of living and other people's backgrounds and their life experiences um, with a very strong sort of justice and racial equity lens and uh, a lot about sexuality. All of those values were in there and that makes a lot of sense to me because it changed my life in a lot of ways. When I first moved to America and didn't know too many people and like had never had a lot of permission to like really be myself or explore myself, my sexuality, my real thoughts and opinions on things and that gave me the space to do it and uh, definitely made me um, more tolerant and or, or more open to other people's experiences too and more knowledgeable. Anyway, so there's my six values, tolerance, openness, intimacy, justice, health and sexuality. Thanks for that prompt. I love you. Goodbye. My question a few minutes ago about what is your happy place wasn't only a hypothetical guided audio soundbite. I think that there are a range of happy places in your mind, but there is one particular happy place, real or imagined, that grounds you. And in that particular place, whatever is happening there or not happening means something. I think that visualization has the potential to tell you a story about yourself and reveal core values. I don't know for sure if other producers use their close friends for intimate voice memos. Um, you should try it. It's great. Uh, shout out to Tiffany and Mimi who graciously responded to a handful of deep questions and even outlined a moment in their life where they felt that their core values align. Yeah, I don't really like do small talk. So <laughs> thank you to my friends for meeting me where I'm at at this very intense place. I'm still mulling over my own personal happy place, the theater experience, to see if my core values are embedded somewhere in that visualization. Extremely connected. Laugh out loud. Creative choices. Present. Contribute. Freedom of surrender. 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 Hmm, I think I'm on to something. I'm so curious about your happy place. I'd love to hear from you. Message the show on Facebook or Instagram, or you can email me my, uh, my first name and then my last name at gmail.com. Cats out of the bag, let the fan mail begin. Because there's no way you could have possibly discovered that by Googling me. That is very private information. It's not, it's not private. You could Google everyone you know. Don't do it, you'll regret it. Love you, bye! Material Feels is produced by me, your host, Catherine Monahan. I'm a writer and audio storyteller with a background in art education. I live in Oakland, California. 
Associate producer Liz Delise, based in Philly, composes original music for the show as well. This episode features sounds from www.freesound.org, as well as underscores and music created just for the show by Liz. The show is a labor of love, and your contributions mean the world. In fact, recent contributions in 2021 made it possible for Liz to go to Brooklyn and perform a tape sync. That's when someone goes on behalf of a producer, on behalf of an audio storytelling team, and records sound when somebody can't be there. And with the pandemic, I couldn't go to this glassblowing studio. And so Liz went for me and it was incredible. And I can't wait to share the next episode with you. It features a glassblowing icon who I've been looking forward to interviewing for six months. Here's how you can support us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share with your friends and family. Review the show on iTunes. Follow Material Feels on Instagram. Find us on patreon.com and donate or send money directly to me. Material Feels is sponsored by Brown Sugar Botanicals. Brown Sugar Botanicals is Oakland's black, queer, and trans-founded CBD company, proudly crafting herbal CBD-infused products grown by resilient communities. As of March 5th, 2021, Brown Sugar Botanicals has closed their online shop to tend to a new period of growth and will reopen on May 1st, 2021. In the meantime, go follow their journey on Instagram at brown sugar botanicals and make sure to follow their community updates at brownsugarbotanicals.com slash community without further ado here is an original piece of music composed by liz inspired by the first material of the season time How can you 
Ah! 